Amen. Thank you, choir. Thank you, congregation, for singing and the worship so far this morning. <clears throat> I feel like I have begun to become part of the family in some ways. I walked in this morning and I was greeted with, oh, you again. So <laughs> now I know I've arrived. I know I'm part of the group. Uh, people start saying things like that. So uh, unless they were just being brutally honest and there's a whole other issue. But we started talking last week about change. We started talking about, as Andy shared earlier, about the idea of what it means to become that extraordinary church that God really wants us to be, not to be kind of mediocre, not to kind of be status quo, but to really be that church that God wants us to be. And we started talking about what it means to move from survive to thrive. And I'd like to talk to you a little bit further about that today. If you want to go ahead and open your Bibles up to Nehemiah, we're going to be looking at Nehemiah throughout this whole month of January. Would you join me in a word of prayer before we get started this morning? Father, we, we do thank you for the opportunity you give us to live a life that is not mediocre, to live a life that is extraordinary, to live a life that, Lord, is nothing short of awesome if we choose to follow you and choose to allow you to work in and through us. This morning, Lord, I want to thank you for the rich heritage of this church, for the ways that, for that over 150 years, you have worked and changed the lives of individuals, for the ways you have changed this community and shaped this community through the people who have been a part of this church, I, I personally give you thanks this morning. And, and we pray, Lord, that we would never dishonor that past. We pray that we would simply build upon that past, that we would move into the future in a way that honors that past, Lord, because we're trying to do exactly what everybody's been trying to do for those years and years, and that is to serve you in ways that bring a smile to your face. So teach us this morning, Lord, and, and challenge us and change us where you need to so that we would be those people who don't settle for surviving, but who learn how to thrive. And it's in Jesus' holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Last week we opened up that word that is so hard for some of us in our lives, that, that word change. And, and I want to, to tell you this morning that as we talk about change, we're not talking about changing just for change's sake. Okay? There are some people who just, they love change. As a matter of fact, I'll never forget one time I was actually in marriage counseling with someone who was leaving their spouse, and I looked at them and I said, what is the issue? And this was what I got in response, I'm just ready for a change. I just want a change. Now some of you buy new cars, why? Because you're ready for a change, right? Maybe there's nothing wrong with your older car, maybe, maybe it's still just as good as it was two or three years ago, but you're ready for a change. I think some uh, churches switch pastors because they like the new pastor smell, like some people like new car smells. They think if I get a new pastor, everything will change, and you guys aren't that way. That's not your history, but you know churches who are. And so we're not talking about the kind of change that, that we just go out and we make a change just so that we can say we made a change. What we're talking about is following God into the future. What we're talking about is maturing from where we are to where God wants, wants us to be. Moving from point A to point B because God wants us to move there. We're talking about change with a purpose. Change that is following the call of God and change that pleases God. I, I went to work for Mountain River Physical Therapy two years ago and I walked into a, a business full of fit people. I, I manage 112 people, 
and I am the heaviest and the most out of shape of anybody in the entire company. They're a bunch of physical therapists and sports performance peoples and athletic trainers and athletic performance coaches. And so they immediately started on me. We got to get you in shape, right? They immediately began, we got to help you change. Now, the thing is, they didn't want me to change just for change's sake. I really believe that most of them have my good interest in mind. I'm happy to say that although I haven't lost a lot of weight, I am much healthier eater than I used to be two years ago. I do work out on a regular basis, although I haven't done as much as I need to do, and I'm trying to uh, kick that into gear in 2017. But all of that change is motivated by the fact that I know that is something that would be better for me, and they, I believe, know it's something that's better for me, and they want to help me move from where I am to where I ought to be. Now, if we're going to really change, last week we started looking at Nehemiah, and what we learned was we have to be able to see the big picture. And we talked about the fact that Nehemiah is kind of in his own routine of life, and he's sitting back there in Susa, in, the, in the kind of the capital of the kingdom, and he's in captivity, but he's got basically the best job he can have being a slave in the kingdom. And he gets up and he goes through his routine every day, and he probably has kind of this mediocre living, if you will, and... And yet, there is this one thing that happens in the midst of chapter 1 that changes his life, and it is, he simply asks a question of the travelers that come to visit, how are things back in Jerusalem? And the answer is, the people are in disarray, and the walls around the city are in ruins, and things aren't good, and he begins to weep, and, and so his entire life ex expands from what's going on around me in my circle to what's going on over there, and God calls him to make a difference way outside of his boundaries, way outside of where he's living his everyday life. If I were to look at my own health picture, and I think about the big picture, I, I can tell you right now that I'm more motivated now than any time in my life for two reasons. And that is my two grandkids. When I look at the big picture of what I can do down the road of attending their graduations and trying to be around for a lot of their life, it motivates me a lot more than just being healthy for my sake. Because my picture has been expanded. We need to be people who see the big picture. Nehemiah saw this. He saw the distress of the people in Jerusalem. And he believed that change could happen. And I think that, that for those of us in the church who are pushing change and we talk about change, sometimes people think that, well, you just want things to be different. You don't honor the past. You don't believe in tradition. And, and the fact is that's not true. Let me tell you very personally why I preach about change, why about everything I do in the church now is about helping people change. It is because my heart breaks for people who aren't experiencing what God wants them to experience. My heart breaks for people who are satisfied with mediocre when God offers them awesomeness. I've asked many times in my life, do Christians really believe in the Bible? How many of you in here believe in the Bible? Raise your hand. You believe it's true. You know, some of you are like, all right, he's setting us up here. You know, I'm not sure. Right? You believe in the Bible, right? But listen to what John 14, 12 says. You know this scripture? I tell you the truth, Jesus says, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing, and he will do what? Even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. Now, raise your hand inside. You don't have to do it on the outside. If you really believe that in your life you're doing better things and greater things than Jesus Christ did. We don't really believe the Bible, do we? We don't really believe that we can live a kind of life 
that God can look at us and say, man, Ed Rogers is doing things greater than Jesus did when he walked on this earth. We don't really believe that we have the opportunity to do those kind of things in this world. And yet the scripture tells us, yes, we do. Not because we're anything special. Not because we are God. But because we trust in the one who can work in us and through us to do amazing things. And I'm not talking about being famous. And I'm not talking about everyone knowing who you are. I had a fourth grade school teacher. Her name was Mrs. Justice. Mrs. Justice's body was racked by diabetes. She was blind in one eye. She could barely walk. She walked with a cane and she kind of shuffled along. But she came into that classroom and back then all the fourth graders stayed in the same room all day long. And she taught math and she taught science and she taught English. And I don't, I don't remember one single thing she taught me. I don't know if she taught me, you know, what kind of math she taught me or English, but I do know this. Every day I walked in there, she said this, Ed, I love you. It was Eddie back then. Don't dare do that to me now. But it was Eddie back then. Eddie, I love you. A teacher telling me flat out in the classroom, I love you. And everything she did for me showed me that she really did love me and every other student in that room. And I can tell you right now that if you go back and you grab anyone who had Mrs. Justice for fourth grade at Blenner Hazard Elementary School in Wood County, West Virginia, they will tell you that woman changed my life. You don't know her, but she changed the world. And you know what? She wasn't ashamed to tell you why she did it. Because Jesus loved her. And she loved him. And she loved people as a result. So as we begin to see the big picture, and we begin to see that the need is out there, that God is calling us to do something more than just survive, that he really does want us to thrive, and we begin to see it as individuals and we begin to see it as a church, then let's go back to Nehemiah and learn some other things about these changes that need made. Look, look to the second chapter of Nehemiah with me this morning. I'm going to start out with two verses in verse 17 and 18 in chapter 2. And, and Nehemiah at this point has already prayed his prayer. He's already gotten permission to leave uh, uh, and go over to Jerusalem. And he's already there in the presence of the Israelites. And in verse 17 and 18 of chapter 2, we read this. It says, Then I said to them, You see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, <coughs> Excuse me, and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God upon me, and what the king had said to me. And they replied, Let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. Now these two verses, to me, in the Old Testament are some of the most powerful verses in the entirety of Scripture in speaking to you and I about being a part of the church. Is there anything you recognize in that passage that just jumps out to you? Anything? Just shout it out. Anything jump out at you? Opportunity. Opportunity, absolutely. What else? Faith. Huh? Faith. Faith, absolutely. Let me read it with a little bit of different emphasis. Listen to this. Then I said to them, you see the trouble, what? We are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God upon me and what the king had said to me. And they replied, what? Let 
us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. Now here's Nehemiah. Nehemiah is not one of this group. Nehemiah is driving over from Parkersburg on a snowy morning to spend time with these people in Clarksburg, right? <laughs> and, and, and he doesn't know them that well at this point. He's not part of the group. But what he says is he says, let us do this thing together. We got a problem. We are all suffering together. You see, that big picture thing has started to include him. Where you suffer, I suffer. I don't care if you live in Iraq. I don't care if you live in Cambodia. I don't care if you live in, in Bolivia. Where you suffer, I suffer. Because I see that picture. I'm a part of that big picture. And God has called me to do something about it. Here's what I believe this scripture is saying to us. This is very, very clearly. It's saying, team work works. Folks, I believe with all of my heart that one of the greatest reasons why we have settled for mediocrity in the church today, one of the greatest reasons why we don't change the communities around us and why the communities influence us much more than we influence them is because we don't know what it's like to work together as a team. As churches in the community, we often disagree and fight about things more then we work together. As individuals in our own denominations, we do the same. And as individuals in our own churches, we do the same. Now, you, you're going to go home today, more than likely a lot of you. And you're going to go back home and you're going to turn on the TV and you're going to watch that football game, that wild card game today. And a lot of you, as absolutely misguided as you are, are going to root for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Right? <laughs> and... And you can't help it, I understand. Those of us rooting for the Dolphins will be watching as well, okay? And, and you're going to get excited about that. And if you see someone on that field that is playing for themselves, trying to pat their stats, and it's all about them, you're going to be aggravated and you're going to be upset because they are not a team player. We ought to be just as aggravated and upset in the church when we don't play as a team. When we don't realize that each and every single one of us is just as important as the other. And God has called us to build the walls together. Let us rebuild the walls. Let us start this rebuilding. When we look at Nehemiah and we ask for some real practical advice. And we're thinking about changing, about becoming who God created us to be as individuals and as a church. And doing what God has created us to do. Then we realize that teamwork works, but teamwork only works when we are on God's team. Now, now, let me explain this to you just a little bit. It's important to know who the owner and the coach of the team are. You see, you can be the best team in the world, but you're not really doing anything worthwhile if you're not following the direction of the one who sets the direction. Teamwork works when we're on God's team. Look down a couple of verses to Nehemiah chapter 2 verse 20. <clears throat> Nehemiah says this, he says, I answered them by saying, the God of heaven will give us success, right? Success doesn't come because you're really good at building walls. It doesn't become because you're super committed. It comes because God gives us success. We as servants will start rebuilding, but as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historic right to it. Talking about those who are kind of standing against what's going on here. But those who are going to join on God's team are going to see this success. How many of you are going to watch Alabama play Clemson Monday night? You can tell I'm a football fan, right? Sorry for all the football illustrations. They'll go away here before too long, all right? 
Alabama plays Clemson on Monday night. You don't know who's going to win, do you? Yeah, some of you have a good idea, right? <laughs> At least you hope who's going to win. But Alabama and Clemson, they're pretty good teams. They're, they're pretty decent teams. And if they play as a team and, and they play to their ability, either one of them, quite frankly, can win that game Monday night. Now, here's the deal. I'm a graduate of Alderson Broadus College, which is now Alderson Broadus University. They have a football team now. If Alderson Broadus football team went to play Alabama, they could play as well as anybody in the whole wide world as a team, but their talent would not overcome Alabama, right? You could pretty sure bet they're not going to win that game. Well, that's the thing. There are so many talented people in the world, so many talented people in the church, so many people who are committed. But the thing is, we got to get serious about being committed to the one who calls us and creates us and moves us from here to where we go. It's not about what we want. It's not about our vision. It's not about our direction. It's about following the call of God and playing on his team. And when we play together and we do things together that God has called us to do, we move from surviving to thriving. In Romans chapter 8, verse 16 and 17, <clears throat> we read this. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Do you hear that activity that's going on there? Suffered and glorified. You and I are active participants and God's team, with God as the leader, we are the followers, he is the leader, we are the, we are the players, he's the general manager, the coach, the owner, he calls the shots. And frankly, in the church today, some of us don't like that. We have so much problem in theology today, quite frankly, because we just want the church to be what we want it to be. We just want theology to be what we want it to be, what I'm comfortable with. And that's not the way it works. God calls you to deny yourself and follow him. And when we come to him, we come together, but we come to him. I laid on a bed in a hotel in Huntington, West Virginia during the senior high convention in 1984. I was on the state youth committee. I had gotten on that committee, although nobody knew who I was. And I had been nominated by a youth pastor, and someone else had said no to it. And I was some kind of alternate, and I got called to go. I was on the state youth committee. I'd never been to a state youth event. And I did this work, and I was like, man, God's doing something here. This is kind of cool stuff, working for God. And I was laying on this bed in a motel room in Huntington. I'd already been accepted into the pre-dental program at WVU. I cannot imagine one day in my life, looking at people's mouth for a living now, but for some reason back then I did. And I was laying in that hotel room and I was praying and I, it was just like God said to me, I want you to be a pastor. Or I want you to go into ministry. And I'll never forget what I said. I didn't say it out loud and it wasn't like a 900 foot tall Jesus talking to me. It was just internal. But my response was, I'll do whatever you want, but I won't be one of them. My, my reaction was, I won't be a pastor. I had an awesome pastor when I became a teenager. Lloyd Hamlin was my pastor. But up until then, I had known a lot of pastors. 
And all that I'd known about those pastors is they always stood up here and they always looked at me down here. They dressed different than I dressed. They looked different than I looked. They acted different than I acted. They talked different than I talked. And they seemed to have a faith that I could never muster in my life, no matter how hard I tried. And I said to God, face to face, I won't be one of them. And this is exactly what I heard back. I didn't ask you to be anybody. I asked you to do something. That is you, with all your junk, serve me. And I still said, fine, but I don't want to be a pastor. Went to college saying, I'm going to run an orphanage. I'm going to do mission work, but I'm never going to preach. I'm not going to do that. And it didn't take very long before God said, yeah, whatever. You know, <laughs> and, and this is where my life ended up. I say all that to say this. It was not at all what I thought it ought to be. It was not at all the path that I had sketched out for what I ought to be. But then when I got into ministry, I had it all figured out. I was going to be an associate pastor. Then I was going to be a senior pastor. And then I had other plans for my life. And I did those first two. And all of a sudden, I'm working for a physical therapy company. And I know God's up there going, yeah, look, isn't it incredible how you don't have it all together and know exactly what's going to happen. You know why? I'm not the owner of the team. I'm not the coach of the team. I'm a player. When the coach says, suit up and go out there and run this play, it's not my place to say, that's not the play we're going to run. It's my place to say, I'll run it to the best of my ability with your help and your direction and your guidance. God's team does God's work. Nehemiah could have done a lot of other good things, maybe even godly things, but he was responding to an invitation from God to do a certain thing. There are churches all over the place. I've worked with 34 different churches in the last year and a half. And so many of them want me to come in because I had a 26-year experience at a really good church that did amazing things. And they want me to come in and tell them how they can do what we did at South Parkersburg Baptist Church. And I invariably disappoint every one of them when I say, don't do anything we did at South Parkersburg Baptist Church. Because we were following a specific call as a church in a certain generation for a certain area. What does God want you to do? He doesn't want you to be that church down the street. He doesn't want you to be that church in that book. He doesn't want you to be that church on TV. He wants you to be the best Clarksburg Baptist Church there is and to do what he's called you to do here in this place. Philippians 2, 2 12 and 13 we read this, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only my present, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to what? His good purpose. Now here's the thing. There is a subtle difference between asking God to bless our work and asking God to make our church a blessing. It's a subtle difference but it's huge. It's not about asking God to bless what we want to do or what we figured out. It's asking God, what do I need to do to be a blessing? If you ask God to bless your church, you'll survive. And you'll copy programs and you do things everybody else is doing. But if you want to thrive, you'll say, God, what do I need to lay down? And what do I need to pick up? To be a blessing to you. What is it we need to do that everybody else thinks impossible? What is it we need to do that nobody else has done? 
What is it we need to do to be on your team for this time in this place? Teamwork works when we do God's work. Teamwork also works when God's people work as a team. And, and, and that's a little different than what I've been saying because I want to put the emphasis on work there. This is not about a bunch of lazy people showing up to be served. You've heard the illustration about the difference between a cruise ship and a battleship, right? That on a cruise ship, there's a very small percentage of the people that work 24 hours a day to make sure that everybody else enjoys the ride. On a battleship, you don't get on unless you have a job. The church has become much more like a cruise ship than a battleship. Hey, preacher, I got a friend in the hospital. They don't know Jesus. Would you go over and talk to them about Jesus? I sure will. When do you want me to pick you up? Right? We're, we're not hired people to do God's work on your behalf. We are people to do what we're called to do, just like every single one of you in the pew is to do what God has called you to do. That's how we build the walls together on God's team. Because every one of us has a job. Every one of us has a calling, and every one of us has to work. I kept a postcard on my wall in my office in South Parkersburg for years. It was my favorite postcard, and it was a, uh, a picture of the disciples in a boat when Jesus is walking to them on the water. And Jesus has already called Peter to step out of the boat and come to him. And, and Peter's climbing out of the boat. And the disciples are behind him, and there's a bubble above them that says, We're all right here with you, Peter. And they all have scuba diving outfits on with oxygen tanks. And Peter's jumping out. And way too often in the church, that's kind of how we support the work. Well, if I write a check, that'll be good enough. Believe me, writing a check's a good thing. It's not enough. What has God called you to do? How has God called you to work? You've got churches all over the place that have basements full of kids that need to know the Lord and Christians who won't give up a half an hour, an hour a week to talk to them about it. Figure that out. We've got Christians going to work every day around people who don't know the Lord. And they're like, well, I'm not allowed to... To, to tell them about the Lord. Let me tell you something. I now have two years of experience of working in a secular workplace. You have all kinds of opportunities to tell people about the Lord and the way you work and the way you act and everything else. And if you do it that way, they'll come ask you about Jesus. Every excuse in the world not to do the work. We got walls that need rebuild. Wouldn't you agree? How many of you out there believe that there are needs in your community that aren't being met. Anybody? Raise your hand real high. There's only like five of you that don't believe that. Good. Y'all can take it easy. For the rest of you, God's called you to be extraordinary. Not like every other church in town. Not like every other church wherever. But extraordinary for who you are. Let your picture be expanded, but then realize that if you're going to make anything happen, you're going to have to work as a team. And that means loving each other, forgiving each other, overlooking some things you don't like about each other, and doing the work together. I told you guys this story several months ago when I preached, I think the first time here, <clears throat> from Max Lucado's book about the two little boys that went fishing. You all remember that? You remember the two little boys fishing story? <clears throat> 
Yeah, yeah, you guys don't even know what I preached on last week, do you? Come on. <laughs> he tells a story of these two little boys that are really excited about going fishing, and they're so excited that they talk about it, and they pack their clothes and their tackle a month ahead of time, and they're looking forward every day. They're counting down the days, and the day comes. They go home from school. They're, one of the dads has taken them to the mountains, and they get everything packed up, and they drive to the mountains, and they get the camper set up, and they're so excited, and the next morning they're going to get up and they're going to go fishing. And they get up the next morning and they look outside, it's cold, and it's pouring down the rain, and they can't go fishing. And so the dad says, no problem, we got a couple days left. I brought some board games, and they're a little disappointed, but it's no big deal. They play some games, they play cards. By the end of the day, they're ready to go to bed. And they go to bed, and they are ready to get up in the morning and go fishing. The next morning, weather's worse. You know the story. You've been with kids before, right? The board games don't entertain them anymore. By halfway through the day, they're fighting like cats and dogs. They're picking at each other over everything. They're cooped up in this camper. Dad says, that's it. I've had enough. Pack up. We're going home. And Max Lucado, he, he strings this thing out for about 15 pages. And he ends the chapter with this. He says, when people who are meant to fish don't fish, they fight. Now, here's the thing, church. The reason we don't do extraordinary things for God is because we don't have our hands to the work. And the reason we fight so much is because we're not busy enough doing what God's already called us to do. Read the stories of the combat brothers in war. Different religions, different colors of skin, different backgrounds. They don't fight over that stuff when they're under fire. They work together to get something done. And that's what God calls you, and that's what he calls me to do. And the wonderful thing is, is once you start it, we'll look at it next week, people are going to try to make it stop. Because you got these people called the Horonites. you got these people with funny names who come along and say, we got to make sure these people don't do this great, extraordinary thing. We'll talk about that next week. Let's pray together.